0: Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's Lifetime Membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today.
1: A word of warning. This podcast explores graphic and disturbing stories, and include some strong language. It therefore may not be suitable for our young listeners or other folks who may find it disturbing. Hello and welcome to True Crime Daily, the podcast covering high profile and under the radar cases from across the country every week. We are recording this on January 13th, 2021. I am your host, Anna Garcia, and joining me today is criminal defense attorney, Joshua Ritter. Josh Welcome back to the program. We're so excited because we have a case that's perfect for you.
2: Hi, Anna. Thank you so much for having me again.
1: Absolutely. And how's your baby daughter doing?
2: She's doing great. She's keeping us busy, but we love every moment of it.
1: How old is she now?
2: She's ten weeks.
1: Yes, how delicious! Yeah, oh my it's fun. god,
2: They're it's so fun. cute. She's starting to giggle and smile, so it's really fun.
1: Ah, I love it. All right. Well, congratulations once again, and happy new thank year. You. These are our cases this week, everyone. An Illinois man has been charged with murder after allegedly fatally shooting his girlfriend while they were driving in a car, okay? It's a miracle that this guy is alive and only one person is dead, given the circumstances as reported. But first, an update on the notorious Florida killer clown case. So attorneys for the woman accused of being the killer clown have made a move in court to try and get her released on bond. Sheila Keen Warren has been held since 2017 for a cold case murder that took place in 1990. She's accused of dressing up as a clown and killing the wife of the man that she was having an affair with. But wait, the man that she ends up marrying after the wife is dead. Isn't that always convenient? Yeah, right. Can you see this? I mean, I guess one of the questions is what the heck took so long <laughs> in making this arrest?
2: Yeah, it, it really incredible because, um, and I'm sure you're going to get into it, but they talk about one of the things that tied it together was the, the hair fibers from the wig, which that was something that stood out to me because this is not new technology. I mean, they've been matching hairs for decades. So I, I'm curious to know what about those fibers or what new evidence other than those fibers that they're not telling about t- telling us about has come in for them to break this case some what is it 27 years later
1: yes and that's exactly what her attorneys are arguing they're arguing that the dna evidence that they have on these wig fibers is neither new nor convincing in implicating their client and that's one of the reasons in the motions that they submitted to court That's one of the reasons they want her out. They want her to get one of those ankle monitors, and they want her to at least wait for trial, which keeps getting delayed for a million reasons, including a pandemic. So they want her to be able to wait for trial at her home. And this was part of the motion. And they're also pleading because of the pandemic, let's get her out of there. In fact, they submitted those motions last week on January 4th. And they claim, again, it is a lack of evidence. And they actually went through the evidence, which was very interesting. They presented a lot of the evidence. They presented a lot of the information that was in the original police reports, which I really want to talk to you about because there there is some information here which is conflicting. Okay, on the outside, you're looking and you're like, oh, my God, the woman who was murdered loved clowns. The woman who was accused of killing her dressed up as a clown, you know, and managed to get away for almost three decades Um, she was having, you know, she was always a person of interest and she was having an affair with the woman's husband who was very conveniently on his way to the horse races the day that she was murdered. It's really an incredible case and has many, many layers and a lot more twists than we generally find with these cases. So I want to take everyone back to the day of the murder because most of you who, who listen or watch know I love to go back to that day do things chronologically because I believe that in the process of doing it that way, the flags start to come up. You get the context, and you also get the context of the investigation, which is very important because it's easy to say, oh, yeah, you know, you should have arrested her right away. Okay, well, what were the hurdles keeping sure. the authorities from doing that? Absolutely. So let us go back. To May 26, 1990, we're going to Palm Beach County to a very wealthy suburb there. Not Palm Beach, but, you know, an adjacent community with um, very fancy homes, with big driveways and people who go to, you know, country clubs. That's the lifestyle. And that's where this all occurred. 40-year-old Marlene Warren answered the door and there was a delivery person standing there dressed as a clown holding two balloons as well as a bouquet of flowers. And she went to, the clown, went to hand these to Marlene. And one of the balloons actually read, you're the greatest. Okay, now Marlene, Marlene was not home alone. She was with her 22-year-old son and some of his friends, and she was making breakfast for them. Oh, my God. So there were several people who were home at the time. And also, everyone says anyone who knew Marlene knew she loved clowns. She painted clowns. Her mother had like a clown room with clown stuff everywhere. So it was something that really was personal to her, right? It's like giving someone a box of chocolates when you know they love a box of chocolates.
2: Right. <laughs> so... Except a little worse.
1: <laughs> yeah. Except they're poisoned in a different way, right? Right. So the clown is dressed in this orangey red wig, a red nose, High top shoes or boots, but not clown shoes. This will be important. Not clown shoes. So when Marlene saw the clown and she saw this surprise for her, her words, the words she uttered were, how nice. Okay. wow. So she's totally in a relaxed, happy, joyous mood. And then the clown pulls out a gun and shoots Marlene in the face. Oh, wow. Okay. That's personal. That's not the yep. leg. That's not the shoulder. That's not the abdomen. It's It's especially when it's, let's just say, woman to woman. Sure. And we think that the killer is having an affair with the woman's husband. That's personal.
2: No, there's avarice there. There's hatred there. That's, that's whether I kill you or not, you're not going to be the same person after this.
1: Absolutely. I will disfigure you. Yeah. You're done. Wow. So then the clown... Walks away very calmly and gets back into the car in which the clown drove, which was a white Chrysler LeBaron. Remember, it's 1990, everyone. Not two days.
2: <laughs> specifically, not a clown car. Okay.
1: <laughs> yes, thank you. Not a clown car. Right. Marlene dies two days later in the hospital. Four days after the shooting, the LeBaron is found abandoned. Okay. Let's look at the family. Let look, let's look at what's going on in the marriage. Because here's what's very interesting, Josh, that I want to talk about. Three of the four people who were in the house that would be witnesses who saw the clown, all of this, right? Witnesses to the shooting. Three of the four said it was a tall man dressed as a clown. Three of the four said it was a tall man, about six feet tall, dressed as a clown one was unsure of gender i think this is incredibly important because at the time police are looking for a man based on witness accounts that doesn't mean that the lover of the husband did not become a suspect very soon or i should say a person of interest but that's where the direction begins and i all and this is part of the evidence that the attorneys for the alleged killer clown are saying it's like For heaven's sakes, even the eyewitnesses are saying it was a man. You got the wrong person here. Right, right. So Marlene, the victim here, had been married for 18 years to Michael Warren. Michael had a used car business and a rental car agency. People in the neighborhood said, you know, he didn't have the kind of business dealings that were considered as swanky as the other neighbors. Okay. All right, maybe there's a little snobbery there, right? The man's got a business. The marriage was rocky, according to reports, and apparently a lot of his businesses were in Marlene's name. The businesses were in his wife's name. Therefore, there was speculation among family and friends that a divorce would not have been easy because she had the businesses in her name. A little bit of background there about what's going on here. The husband had an alibi for the time of the shooting. He was on his way to the racetrack, okay? But he was still considered somewhat suspicious because police soon found out, it didn't take very long, they found out that the husband, Michael, was having an affair with a woman who operated a car repo business. And that would be the woman who is currently charged with the crime. Interesting. At, so at the time... Um, Apparently, police got this anonymous tip saying, you better look into these two because they were having an affair. And of course, I would think that's one of the things you're always looking at. Affairs motive. Absolutely. Absolutely. This wasn't random.
2: Especially like you said, it's not random. She's targeted. I mean, the, the ironic poetry of the fact that she's killed by a clown when she's in love with clowns makes it personal. And then like what you already pointed out, the shot to the face makes it personal. I'm, I'm sure police were considering all of that when they started considering suspects.
1: Yes. Yes. And here's one of the things that that's always been very interesting. Okay. To to me, it's, you're always looking at these love triangles, whether, you know, whether the wife knew that there was an affair or not, but this feeling of let's get rid of the wife and then we can be together. So Sheila Keane and Michael Warren were having an affair, okay? People at his work had seen them in compromising positions. It's not like it was a massive secret. We don't know what Marlene knew at that time. And isn't it amazing? That after Marlene is dead then Sheila is able to marry the man she's having the affair with
2: yeah yeah and it was funny to me 12 years later so they this was this was this plan stuck together right they it wasn't like uh, you know the the murder takes place and everybody gets cold feet but they stay together for 12 years the part I love is they owned a restaurant and operated the purple cow in Tennessee you can only imagine. The kind of rumors that would swirl around that restaurant, when everybody knows that the the strange circumstances of his his wife's death, and now he's married uh, to to the lover, uh, you know, some twelve years later.
1: Well, there's a reason for the delay. It seems that Michael Warren. Um, had to spend a little time behind bars for some racketeering charges and some odometer tampering charges. <laughs> and so when he came out of prison in 2002, she, Sheila, was still waiting for him. They got married in Las Vegas, and then they moved south. They moved down south, and they started this restaurant. <laughs> and apparently, it is... um a former employee at the restaurant who supposedly told authorities that one night, Sheila, you know, the new Mrs. Warren, the second Mrs. Warren, um, that she was in a drunken stupor and then talked about having dressed as a clown and having to get rid of the first wife. Wow. Okay. Whether that's true or not, we have no idea, but it certainly does fit the storytelling and the narrative of this case. Sure. Sure. Marlene's parents said that she had said to them, this is the woman who was murdered. Marlene, according to her parents, told them, she said, quote, if something happens to me, Michael did it. Wow. That there was forewarning. Wow. So I don't know what that means about what was going on in the marriage, but, you know, I don't think that the parents made this up. And then let's not forget that her parents, Marlene's parents, the dead woman's parents, you know, they see their son-in-law, right? Their former son-in-law marry the woman he was having the affair with. And then decades later, that woman is then charged with their daughter's murder. You can imagine this is a very uncomfortable family situation. Yeah,
2: just awful. And think about hearing those words from your daughter, that if something happens to me, it's, it's him that did it. So she must've known, I mean, things were far worse than just having difficulties in their marriage she knew that he maybe was capable of something awful like this
1: and the fact that they have at least one son the son who was there at the house he, i cannot imagine how difficult this has been for him how shocking how tearing apart the I, the concept that the father is not charged here okay right. the father is not charged here but if indeed the new wife is guilty if she is indeed found guilty It's kind of hard to believe that he had no idea. Sure. Sure. And isn't it convenient that they are now married to each other? Because what does that mean in a court? He's not going to testify, right? He can't be compelled.
2: There's that privilege there that would protect him.
1: So there you go. So they both have each other to cover.
2: And then it's also, I mean, just, you know, add further kind of the, the air of suspicion over him. You know, this convenience of him having the alibi, right? He happened to be at the racetrack where I'm sure there's plenty of witnesses to testify to the fact that he was nowhere near where this crime took place
1: and she had an alibi too Sheila Sheila said that she was very busy working in her repo business, whatever that means, so clearly, you know it's possible that those were good alibis. You know what it's possible he I want to get back to that clown again, so he was described. It, I'm going to call it it. The clown was described as being between six feet and six two. Sheila is approximately five seven. Okay. So she's a tallish woman. Sure. But that's a pretty decent chunk of no, difference. No, that is,
2: that is big. And, you know, there's something about eyewitnesses too when they're um, witnessing something so shocking and awful. I mean- you, you have to imagine that the trauma of seeing someone pull a gun and shoot your mother, your, a loved one right there at the door, that figure might take on a life of its own. And maybe they thought, oh, this, this had to have been a man or this person had to have been six foot tall or more because they're so kind of shocked and traumatized by what they saw took place that maybe their accuracy on the height is not entirely all there.
1: Do you think that that's going to be damaging going to trial the fact that three of the four said it was a man and there is now a woman charged?
2: Oh, I think the defense attorneys are going to exploit it as much as they absolutely possibly can, right? I mean, yeah. there, is no, there is no eyewitness of any person that you could put into a lineup, right? The, the You know, the, <laughs> it's a clown face. There's no one to identify. So, of course, they're going to, I'm sure that will be a large part of their case is that all signs pointed towards someone identified not to be similar to what their client looks like.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So we have all of this confusion about the height and the gender of the clown at the time. And let's also remind everyone that when this initially happened, the entire area of Palm Beach, Palm Beach County, is freaked out thinking that there is a killer clown out there who's just knocking on houses trying to kill people. So you can imagine there was that level of terror going on, even though it appeared to be personal. But what if it wasn't? What if you had a crazy killer clown out there? Right. What if this was
2: just random? What a nightmare. Yes.
1: So that it's important to give you the perspective of what's going on in the investigation at the time. So investigators start looking at where did the uh, balloons come from. Where did the flowers come from? Where did the clown costume come from? Right, you're gonna. That, that's how they started piecing it together in yeah. the days after this. Two Publix supermarket employees told police that they remembered a woman purchasing the exact flower and balloon arrangement that was used in the murder. This particular store was about a mile away from Sheila's house. Well, okay. There are plenty of supermarkets I'm sure that are about a mile away from her house. I oh. I, I don't know how incriminating that is. Right. But when police showed the employees photos including Sheila's photo, they couldn't positively ID her according to Sheila's attorneys. There's there's a little bit of controversy here and honestly I don't know who to believe. Right. You know, um did the employee say, well, it could be her, but didn't positively say it was her? Was there enough wiggle room there where Sheila's attorneys are like, hey, unless you can conclu- conclusively say that was her. Right. So there, so there's that. I,
2: again, something that you imagine those attorneys would exploit, but it's understandable. I mean, somebody purchasing flowers and balloons, I'm sure, is not a very remarkable event to these employees. I'm, I'm surprised that they remember the purchase of the balloons and flowers to begin with. So I'm not entirely shocked that they can't remember, you know, the specifics of the identity of the person who purchased them. They know it's a woman, that's clear, but they, maybe the, the actual ID of someone in a lineup is a little more difficult, which is not shocking.
1: And no one has mentioned anything about surveillance video. It would have been 1990. So I don't know how much they would have had at the time at the supermarkets. They may have, they may not. I mean, now you pretty much have them everywhere. I don't think 30 years ago they were that prevalent. You may have had one at the safe, you know, something like that.
2: And if they did, it didn't have the same kind of high density that we have today, too, where you could clearly identify someone.
1: Then they started looking at costume shops, two employees of a West Palm Beach costume shop. Remember a woman buying a clown costume two days before the shooting. They remembered that she said, I'm going to need a lot of white makeup to cover my face. Well, I would argue, well, duh, she's planning to dress like a clown. Of course, she's going to need white makeup to cover the face. I mean, how is that incriminating? That's just making a, a clown face. Those employees tentatively point the finger at Sheila as the woman who bought the costume. Okay, so is that valuable?
2: I mean, it's all starting to it's little pieces, right? This is this is not a trial that the prosecutor cu- puts on with one smoking gun. This is a you know a death through a thousand little cuts. So every little piece of evidence here continues to mount up, and they're. Trying to reach that burden of beyond a reasonable doubt. And every little piece is a step towards that.
1: So then police searched the abandoned car. Remember, they finally did find that white Chrysler LeBaron. And there was hair that matched the description of the wig, the reddish orange fibers of the wig. They then searched Sheila's apartment. And they say they found wig fibers on Sheila's. Boots. Remember, the clown was wearing kind of blackish lace-up boots. Yeah. The police at the time said that those fibers on Sheila's boots matched fibers of the wig that were found in the clown getaway car. Wow. Wow. But her attorneys say to this day that DNA evidence is not conclusive as far as And these are not um, human hairs that we're talking about. We're talking about fibers. And the question is, has technology changed in 30 years? I'm going to argue it has. It's got to have improved. So maybe at the time, 30 years ago, the fact that you found matching fibers is curious, but clearly the prosecutor at the time did not think that there was enough to charge. Right. So... There are the witnesses at the two stores. There are the orange wig fibers found in Sheila's apartment. And they, they are incriminating, but nonetheless, not enough to charge Sheila. Here's, interest, here's something interesting. One of the employees who worked at the used car lot said that 45 days before the murder, Michael, Michael, the husband, the guy who owns the used car lot, drove with Sheila, repo lady, girlfriend, and they picked up a stolen white Chrysler LeBaron. Yeah. yeah. And that he, the employee, was told to keep that a secret. But yet, none of this was enough to charge Sheila.
2: Yeah, this is it's just funny because this is all information that you're telling us right now that they knew 27 years ago, right?
1: Mm-hmm. This part you, of it, yes.
2: Yeah, it's, it's funny to me because... I mean, the case is obviously what we call like a circumstantial case, right? They're putting together a lot of times with these cold cases, it it comes down to who else could have done it, right? And you start to piece it together and all the circumstances and pretty certain uh, things that sound like coincidence are just a little bit too convenient to be coincidence. And it all starts to add up. But again, it appears as though their case is exactly what it was 27 years ago that it is today. You point out that maybe technology advanced in the identification of those fibers. Maybe there's some sort of chemical analysis that they can, in fact, say it's absolutely the same fibers. I don't know, but it, it's. I, I'm, I'm waiting to see if there's more evidence that we haven't heard about just yet. Um, but to me, it's, it's remarkable that they would have made this decision some 27 years later.
1: Well, apparently, there was a human hair that was found in the Chrysler LeBaron. And that was tested and ultimately determined to be Sheila's. Okay. That appears to be part of the new evidence. Okay. So let's catch everybody up. 1990. All right. The murder occurs. These are the facts as we know them. Michael Warren goes to prison for racketeering and for odometer tampering. He marries the woman he's having the affair with. And they move to Tennessee, and life continues. 2014, okay? 2014, the sheriff's department reopens this cold case because they have received new grant money, which is going to make it possible for them to go back into the vault, grab the evidence, and retest some of it. Or all of it. Okay. We don't have all of the details. Remember that prosecutors don't generally reveal everything. Right. But this is the part we do know. And let's not forget, in 30 years, approximately 30 years, 27 years, DNA technology has changed significantly. So they take the results of their new findings, which includes this hair from the Chrysler LeBaron that matches Sheila's. Now, that's the first time you have something that I would say is true, true DNA evidence. I think the wig fibers are very good, but I think... A human hair fiber that is without question Sheila's is stronger, and then you mount the other ev- evidence, and then you have a better case, I absolutely,
2: think. Absolutely. And you talk about the advancement in DNA. It's incredible. I mean, if you remember some of the earlier cases where DNA was used, the O.J. Simpson case being one of them, they used to identify it in the terms of one in so many millions of people, that one yes. out of so many millions of people would be expected to have the same DNA. And you could look at a county like Los Angeles, which has several million people, and you could say, well, there's dozens of people whose DNA might match this. Nowadays, the way that we would explain it in court is that this DNA would not be expected to be duplicated in how many duplications of the population of the entire earth. So we would say, oh, you would expect to see 28 duplications of the entire population of Earth before you would ever expect to see similar DNA to this DNA. That's how advanced it is now so that you can positively say, you can have an expert say, that is this person's DNA.
1: And that apparently is one of the significant parts of of taking this case to a grand jury, which is what the prosecutors did. And the grand jury indicted Sheila on murder. Wow. And so... They arrested Sheila, I believe it was in Virginia. So in 2017, the police finally unmasked the killer clown (laughs) and they said that it was Sheila who did it. Now, mind you, Sheila is married to Michael and they're running their business, right? They've gone on with their lives. Michael Warren, the husband and also the widower, Stands by his current wife who was accused of killing his previous wife. And he says, quote, there's no new evidence and that this is crazy. Okay, we'll see. Marlene's mother is completely outraged, as you can imagine, that this has taken this long. And the fact that her former son-in-law is now married to the woman accused of killing her daughter. Now... What's unclear, I I don't know whether this came out at the time. They may have known it at the time, but I don't know if it was made public at the time. As part of court records, we now know that Michael Warren, the husband, was the beneficiary of a life insurance policy on his wife, which was actually paid one year after her murder, but it was for $53,000. I'm not saying that's chump change, but we're so used to hearing people being murdered for hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars in insurance policy, right. in, in insurance policies.
2: Yeah, I saw the, thought the same thing. It's, it's, it's nothing to sneeze at, but nothing to murder someone else.
1: Although people do get murdered for far less than that. Right. What is interesting in this revelation of the insurance money is that the prosecutors have released this following information, that an attorney named Christopher DeSantis told investigators that Michael Warren, that's the husband, asked him, quote, asked me, What are the ramifications? What would they be if a husband killed his wife on her estate? Okay. I'm not sure exactly what that means. I mean, I get most of it. Then the lawyer said that if the husband had a friend who who did it and they couldn't be tied to the husband, right, that he could get away with it. Sounds to me like the lawyer is giving some legal advice on how to get away with murder. Yeah. The lawyer told investigators, I find this interesting. Would you generally think that an attorney would ever share this information? He's not compelled, right? Yeah. Is so
2: it? this would when we, when I got to this part of it, my notes say, "What kind of lawyer?" Question mark. Um, this was strange to me. So I, it was unclear to me if Mr. DeSantis is Michael's lawyer or just a lawyer he knew of. But still, you, you have these concerns about attorney-client privilege, right? That you you would expect that. Any questions, no matter how bizarre they are, that you ask if your attorney is going to stay in that that vault of attorney-client privilege. Now, there are some exceptions, and maybe there was no uh, relationship between the two of them as attorney-client, and that's why the investigators were able to get a hold of this. But the other part of this is what you identified is who, what, not to throw attorneys under the bus here, but who is advising people on how to get away with murder or how to commit a crime? or I mean this is just you know I have clients come into my office all the time and whenever things even get close to that I tell them listen my, I am I'm, I'm here to tell you how to follow the law I can't tell you how to break the law and get away with it so this was very curious to me something that I'm uh, I'm going to be watching closely to see what the what comes of that
1: And the other thing that apparently this lawyer told investigators he said that he told Michael Warren that if someone, this is the part that gets me, yeah. that if someone wore a clown suit, they would get off because no one would be able to identify the features of the person committing the crime. If this, if this attorney really did tell Michael Warren that, why has Michael Warren not been charged? Right.
2: A little, little too specific, too, isn't it? Little, little yes. right on the head that he would say a clown suit is bizarre yes. to me. Yeah, this, that's like this the last the,
1: thing I would think of. I would think that a clown suit would draw so much attention. Like, exactly. how in the world would I get away and exactly. change?
2: Find find the person in the clown suit driving down the road in a labaret. Yeah, it's very bizarre, very curious. I'm I'm I, I I hope to find out
1: more about all of that. One of the things that I wonder about this case is, it's possible it is she is charged. Sheila is charged with the murder. It is possible. That she conspired to kill the wife, Marlene. It's possible that Michael, who is not charged in this at all, want to make that clear, not charged, could have been part of it based on what this attorney's saying. Isn't it possible that there is another person who might actually be a man and be six foot tall who actually may have truly committed the murder? Isn't that possible?
2: I, I think it is. I think that's an argument her attorneys are going to try to make. Um, I, 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 the, the part that's going to be difficult for them to get around is the whole tying her to Le, the little Baron with the, with the fibers, with the hair, everything else. Maybe, maybe this all comes down to, uh, you know, she knew all about this murder plot, but wasn't involved in it. And the husband hired somebody and she knew the circumstances and was in the car, but had nothing to do with it. I don't know. I mean, another thing you point out is that those boots, uh, are strange, right? It's not clown shoes. obviously it it played a role in that person being able to get away from the shooting quickly but i'm wondering too what were the how how tall were the heels on those boots might have that added to her height which would cause the confusion to the eyewitnesses identifying her as being taller than she is
1: right there's a lot that we do not know we want to tell everyone that we reached out to Sheila's three attorneys who filed this motion and we invited them on the program to discuss all the evidence which they claim does not exist or they believe is faulty, because obviously this case is insane and we want to know more, they declined our offer. But nonetheless, maybe in the future they will come on because Lord knows I had a lot of questions for them. Oh yeah. (laughs) Now, there's been another twist to this case, and to me, this may be the most fascinating twist of all. I am obsessed with this part of it, Josh. So, prosecutors and investigators will not talk about this at all, this part of it. They will not talk about it at all. But this was reported by WPTV News in Florida. I have to give them credit. They did all of the reporting on this, and it's fascinating. According to the TV station, in 1996, a dying auto mechanic who worked for Michael Warren shared a secret on his deathbed about Michael he said that Michael Warren participated in odometer tampering. Okay, we know that. He's reportedly gone to prison for that. This man, the mechanic, told his son that there was a second getaway car, that it wasn't just the LeBaron. There was the LeBaron and then another car after that as part of this setup to kill Marlene. Wow. Wow. The man, now this is all being retold by the son. So the mechanic's son, so the mechanic has passed away now. His adult son is telling this to the television reporters in Florida at this television station. Here's the other thing he says. This, This is the gem. He says that that car, the second getaway car, was pushed into a Florida canal along with the murder weapon. The gun was tossed over that he believes in the trunk of that car will be the clown suit. Wow. Wow. Now, ordinarily, you'd say, okay, well, that's a tale. That's, that's quite a story. Hold on a second. The television station is reporting, WPTV, that a car has been impounded in connection with this murder case. The warrant is sealed. And prosecutors and investigators will say nothing. Zip. They're zipping it. Not a word. It could be nothing, right? It could be nothing. It could be a car that they pulled out of the canal. It could be a car that they are absolutely following the lead on because what if what this man is saying is true? But for me, the fact that it's sealed. Yeah. What a And no one's talking about it. No. Interesting. Oh, I,
2: I. That could be explosive, right? Wow. You yep. imagine that they find the, the 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 murder weapon in the clown suit in the back of that thing, that blows this whole thing wide open.
1: Incredible. Yep, it does. It does. However, one would think if they had found that already, I don't know. What's not clear is the timeline, like because everything is sealed, when was this car pulled out? Where is this car? What condition? Maybe the car wasn't pulled out of the water, right? We're we we do not know the facts of what's going on with this second car in which there is a search warrant that we know something has been impounded. We know there's something that they're looking at. Yeah. And who knows? I mean, maybe they're running um DNA tests.
2: Yeah, yeah. Which would explain why they want it under seal, right? They want to kind of get all their ducks on the road before they come out with this explosive new bit of evidence.
1: Yeah, so maybe nothing, but I'm thinking there's just a little something here.
2: Yeah, what this a crazy story. story. All these people who have all these bits of information that keep on adding to the overall narrative of this thing. It's pretty incredible.
1: It's amazing that Marlene's parents are still alive. And they said, along with some family members that when Marlene was killed, that Michael, her husband didn't appear to be too distraught about it. Well, I mean, there are a few answers to that, I think. It's possible that if their marriage was rocky and he didn't really like her, maybe he hated her. Who knows? Who knows, right? That, that's always a possibility. That doesn't mean that he killed her. I am just fascinated by all of the creepy things that have happened between these two main characters in this case. Yeah. The husband, the new wife, who is now the accused killer. Yeah, wrap a bow on that one. Tie it up. Toss it to
2: the jury. <laughs> also, just to imagine that you know, twenty-seven years goes by. You can imagine uh, that Sheila thought to herself, "This is this is behind me. This is in my rearview mirror. Uh, you know, I'm I'm I've moved on. I'm running the purple cow in Tennessee. Everything's fine. Nobody's coming for me. There's no real new evidence that's coming forward." And then, you know, w- what was it? A grant of money and somebody dusts off a cold case and all of a sudden the world is turned upside down. Yeah, it's a fascinating story.
1: It really is. We are definitely going to monitor this if by any chance we are fortunate enough to get the defense attorneys on or the pro I doubt that the prosecutor would come on. It's it's a you know, it's a pending case. So most of the time they don't talk about it. But we just thought, why not? We really want to keep an eye on this one. We don't know when it's actually going to go to trial. And one of the other issues, Josh, is that they're trying to figure out how they're going to get some of the key witnesses in. Can they testify via Zoom? Do they have to fly in? They don't want to fly to Florida. you know. And of course, the the defense is going to make it extremely difficult and say, no, we don't want them to testify on Zoom. I, make them come in here like everybody else. Right. And those are the things they are slowing down this trial. And that's, yeah. you know, they're going to keep slowing it down. So yeah. that yeah. is the case that we will keep an eye on for sure.
2: Fascinating, yeah, please do.
1: Our next case is out of Illinois where a man has been charged with murder after shooting his girlfriend in the back of the head. Now, he admitted to the murder during a phone call with his son. This is what the police are saying. It happened on New Year's Day, January 1st, 2021. 50-year-old John Bresman allegedly shot 54-year-old Christina Shuge, Forgive me if I'm not pronouncing that name correctly. Now, she was shot multiple times while the two were in his car, and they were driving on an exit ramp to Interstate 90. First of all, driving and shooting in the car at the same time is never advisable. What is unclear to me is who was at the wheel and how this actually, you know, the fact that they were on the exit ramp They're saying, police are saying he was actually driving when this happened, but if she was shot in the back of the head, I don't know.
2: I'm I'm hoping he was driving because otherwise there's nobody driving the car after she's dead, sure.
1: Yeah, and it was his car, so presumably he was driving. It's just that some of the facts in this are not clear enough to me. Yeah. Even if he is driving, which presumably he is and it's his car, it's still like driving and shooting and the back of her head and you're... And the
2: other people on the highway, and who knows what happens. No, incredibly dangerous situation.
1: Very, very dangerous. This this whole situation, like, it, it does... I, I know we, we use the term, because it's a legal term, the heat of passion. Clearly, this was an argument, and it exploded in real time while moving. It is a miracle that no one else was yeah. injured or killed yeah. if this all happened the way we believe it did. So... John Bresman called 911 to report that he shot Christina. Okay, so he appears to be admitting it immediately. Police say they arrested him on the scene without incident. Christina was pronounced dead 15 minutes after police got there. Assistant Cook County State's Attorney Margaret Johnson said that during a bond hearing that Bresman claimed that he had killed Christina in self-defense. This is his story.
2: Yeah, that's going to be... How
1: do you do that to the back of the head?
2: Yeah. So, super quick here on self-defense. Self-defense is a reasonableness standard, right? You have to, one, reasonably believe that your life was in imminent danger of either being killed or or seriously injured. Uh, Reasonably believe that the immediate use of deadly force was necessary And use no more force than was reasonably necessary. I don't know how you get past all of those hurdles when somebody's got multiple gunshot wounds in the back of their head while you're in a vehicle. He doesn't appear to be armed from what I've read. You're going to get into more of this, but there does not appear to be any kind of. What do
1: you mean he wasn't armed?
2: He shot her. Well, I mean, I mean, she doesn't appear to be armed. Sorry. Oh, oh, sorry. sorry. Um, <laughs> thank you for catching that. She doesn't appear to be armed. What you know? What great bodily threat is he experiencing that would ex- that he would be reasonable to pull a gun on her? And you're going to get into more of this, but you know, there's no signs of injury on his body. Nothing to support this case. So that's a That's going to be a very difficult argument for him and his attorneys to make.
1: I think you're right on that one because that's a key point. He did not appear to have been injured as if she were pummeling him while he was driving or anything like that. He told his son in this telephone conversation that apparently he called the son before he called police, which, of course, didn't give Christina any extra precious moments that she would have needed to perhaps save her life. Oh. Though no doubt gunshots to the to the brain are going to be, you know, obviously— Fatal, sure. uh, likely fatal. He told his son that she attacked him while he was driving. Now, it is possible that she did, and he wasn't injured. Right? That she could have gone berserk on him. Sure. That's possible, right? Screaming, fists, whatever, and, wow, and didn't the wheel, trying to yeah. take
2: them both off the road. Sure,
1: that's possible. That's yeah. that's all possible, and he may not have s- sustained injuries that we may see as a result of what he says. Happened. He later admitted to police that he did kill Christina. While he was on the exit ramp, he said, um, quote, self-defense or not, I messed up. That's what he told police, and the Herald is reporting that. And they are also reporting that he, quote, said, I killed the woman I loved. There is evidence that was found by investigators that is painting a slightly different picture, and that shows that maybe John was not acting in self-defense, and here is that evidence. As you mentioned, no marks or bruises were found on his body. Doesn't mean that she didn't go berserk in the car. And this, I think, really is the most damaging part of the whole story. So there were messages from his cell phone that showed the couple had been arguing for some time. And the argument was pretty simple. In in an email dated December 28th, John was really mad at Christina because she had made New Year's plans for New Year's Eve without him. And that's really what was at the heart of this. Yeah. So apparently he wrote in one of the messages, quote, maybe I'm just a jealous fool that loves you very much. The two had been dating for two years. So clearly not. Not a good sign if on New Year's Eve and you've been dating for two years together and you don't want to be with your significant other. However, let us not forget that there is a pandemic. So there could have been, I'm just going to toss that out there. Maybe there was something else going on why they couldn't be together. And they, I, you know, okay, I get it. You're like, oh, this is likely not it. But nonetheless. No, I get it.
2: The problem is, you know, what's he doing with a gun in the first place, right? Driving around on New Year's Day and you've got a gun in the car when you're picking up your girlfriend. That's, that's going to be problematic.
1: Mm-hmm. He has been charged with first-degree murder, and he has been ordered to be held without bail in the legendary Cook County Jail. Oh. It is time for our comments section. These are the crime stories which you all are talking about. A Florida teacher has been charged with child abuse for allegedly spraying students with disinfectant, like using like a can of Lysol disinfectant. A Largo High School teacher has been arrested After being accused of abusing four students in her classroom, according to the Largo Police Department, Christina Resetar, who's 51 years old, said that four students refused to wear their masks properly in class. She then allegedly sprayed the children with this aerosol disinfectant into the path of their faces and their bodies. Okay, context is everything. It is not okay to spray another human being like this. It is not okay to spray a child. It is even more so not okay to spray a special needs child who clearly may not grasp the mask concept, may have emotional and mental challenges, which may prevent them from fully processing all of this information And all of the challenges, which is why they're in a special needs class to begin with. Okay. Who's the adult here? This is the question all the time. Who's the adult? The teacher is the adult. Now, I get it. There's a pandemic. She's probably, the teachers are absolutely frightened of what is walking into their classroom every single day that the kids could be carrying the coronavirus. I get that. I, I, I really do. However, the solution to a child not wearing their mask is not to spray them.
2: Yeah. Now, this pandemic's turning everybody's crazy. This 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 teacher, I completely agree with you. Never write, especially when you're dealing with children with learning disabilities, never write. And, but we are living in such wacky times where everybody is just so afraid of, of, you know, grabbing a, a doorknob without their, a glove with, you know, any kind of human interaction that she just, um, she had a bad day, to put it out there. To put
1: Absolutely. Out there. there were a lot of things that she, as the experienced adult in that room, could have done. Yes. A lot of things that she could have done other than take a chemical and spray it in someone's face. Right. Which could okay? cause them injury, sure. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. So she appeared before a judge last week. And, you know... She was actually escorted from the school and booked into the jail. And then she appeared in court last week facing the four counts of child abuse. And the teacher says that surveillance video from her classroom will exonerate her. So this kind of gets back to the discussion about how things have changed, how now there are surveillance cameras everywhere. So in this classroom, apparently, which I think is a wonderful thing, it's important no matter what kind of a classroom you teach. But I think even more so when you're dealing with, um, you know, children who don't have a lot of self-control. And there can be serious injuries because of the self-control issues. So she says that this video, surveillance video, which has not been released to the public. So we have no idea what it shows. But clearly it confirmed enough to the police that she did spray them in the face. We don't know the rest of the story. But again, no matter what, that was not... It's like, what is this? You're like putting pepper spray in their face? Come on now.
2: Yeah. Well, it's sad too because she's not... I mean it says here she's a 20 year veteran, 18 years at that school alone. This is, you know, I'm sure she's confronted all sorts of difficult uh, situations as a teacher. She's obviously trusted enough to be dealing with these students who have disabilities and extra challenges. And she's trusted to handle that. I, I I feel, I feel bad for her. I, I agree with you. There's no excuse. It would be interesting to see what that video shows.
1: I agree. I think the video will help to finish telling this story in the meantime. She was released without bond because the judge said she has no criminal history. Additionally, as far as we know, she's still employed by the school district. So we don't know at what point things change depending on what happens criminally because she is charged with a criminal offense of child abuse. Yeah. So our comments are Katrina S. writes they need to fire her and revoke her teaching license. She should never be allowed to teach. Special education again. I am glad they had cameras in the classroom. I so agree with you. Absolutely. Linda R. writes, anyone crazy enough to behave like this should stay at home. And, you know, she probably was. Clearly, she wasn't thinking straight. But the point is, she's the adult with the the tools tools to rein in her own self-control. That's what around that. And then Sierra J writes, Good old Florida never disappoints. We have we do have some interesting cases from Florida. It is a theme. Okay, our next one. Most of you probably already know about this case. Police arrest the woman who has been dubbed on social media as the Soho Karen. This is a woman who falsely accused a black teen of stealing her iPhone in a New York City hotel lobby. It was all caught on hotel surveillance and the woman grabbed and attacked this 14-year-old boy in front of his father, family. So picture it, it's Christmas time, they're in a hotel lobby in New York and she can't find her iPhone. She sees this kid with an iPhone. Hello, just about how many millions of 14-year-olds, 14-year-olds across the world have iphones
2: yeah okay and I, and I followed this story a little bit have you seen the video on this it's berserk it's she goes shocking. berserk it's 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 way beyond the pale this is not yes. like excuse me you know uh, you know i i think you may have my phone this is she just goes off the rails it's it's really shocking and disturbing
1: physically and verbally i mean oh. she she jumps him she jumps him yeah. in front of the boy's father it's an assault and, Oh, absolutely. It's assault. And that's what everyone on social media was calling for. That's why her video, her face was plastered everywhere because people wanted this woman arrested. They couldn't believe that she got away with this. She's 22 years old. Clearly she she should know better. And just because the kid has an iPhone, like, why would you automatically think that this boy has your iPhone? No excuse. Absolutely, absolutely none. Her name is Maya Ponsetto. She's 22 years old. She falsely accused the teenager of stealing her iPhone, and then she tackles him. She was finally arrested this week in California. Now, here's what's interesting. Her iPhone, and she's very fuzzy on answering this, the iPhone was apparently handed to her by the front desk, whoever was working the front desk. Now— is it possible that Maya left her cell phone, you know, and someone found it and she handed it back and, but in before someone found it that's when she attacked the teenager which was completely uncalled for. The racist overtones of course, you know, always assume that the young black teenager is is the one committing the crime. Give me a break.
2: Oh, such an ugly story. Yeah. Oh,
1: it's so ugly. It's really ugly because Gail King Um, Oprah's BFF did this great interview with Maya and Maya's attorney and Maya during this interview, I watched the whole thing was so combative and didn't make any sense because remember she has been arrested. Now what Maya should be doing is apologizing saying I lost control. I should have never done that, but instead, and she did do those things But all of that is buried with her accusing everyone else and then her not making sense and being very combative. And the other thing, the gem that came out of this was she said she couldn't possibly be racist because she's part Puerto Rican. Really?
2: The the whole interview, and I've seen it myself too, was just dripping with kind of entitlement on her part. Absolutely. It's a very ugly story.
1: She really is. She's just a nasty, right? Very unpleasant Twenty-two year old woman who's not owning up to her stuff, no, and then no and the other her. thing, and she's kind of like doing this to Gail, right? She's just like, mm, "You quiet down. I need to speak." I'm like, "And who are you? You are the one who stands accused,
2: young lady." Win herself you any fans during that interview?
1: No, she really didn't. I wanted to hear from her, right? Because everyone can can say, "Oh my God, you know what? I lost it. I am so embarrassed. I am so sorry. I owe this young man an apology. I hope you know. I need to address this." I'll, I I want to find a resolution and I, I need to make, I need to right. Uh the consequences of my actions. I must participate in the healing of this process right. that none of those words came yeah, out of
2: she, her. She just confirmed every kind of ugly suspicion you had about her from the incident during that interview.
1: Hey, that's just it, Josh. That woman who you saw on the video attacking that young boy in front of his dad is the same woman who is still standing there saying, yeah, I really wasn't so bad. Yeah. Exactly. That same horrific human being is is exactly what you think she's going to be. So, Ventura County Sheriff's deputies spotted her driving near her home. So, they've been looking for her. They knew who she was. They just were trying to find her. So, they stop her two blocks from her house. What a surprise. She refuses to get out of the car. Mm-hmm. Maya. One thing Maya her. is, she's consistent. <laughs> Maya is, she is very consistent. Wow. Uh, she, according to the cops, she tried to slam the door on one of the deputies when And then they reached in and they forcibly removed her from the car. Can you believe Maya resisted arrest? Hard to believe. No. Same I, woman. I have a
2: feeling we might be hearing from Maya again in the future.
1: Oh, Maya's not going away. Yeah. No. All right. So this is what the comments are. Thea D writes, I refuse to give this brat her 15 minutes. I hope that her victim and his parents prosecute her to the fullest extent of the law and then sue her for the mental anguish caused to that innocent young man. Do you think that the family has a remedy um in civil court here?
2: Sure. I mean, I I don't know what, you know, it's kind of trying to get blood out of a turnip. I don't know what Maya has as far as money, but I I, I think absolutely the, the assault alone is worth a civil case.
1: Okay. Well, I don't think Maya's I don't know what Maya's financial situation is, but Maya clearly had enough money in California to go to New York, visit New York, stay at a nice hotel in Soho, fly mm. back. To what is it, Ventura County? That's nice and upscale. And she also had a private attorney. So Maya's got some money somewhere. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And I think those, the, the, that young man and his father are entitled to it.
1: Absolutely. Maya's got to pay for this one. Yeah. Josh S writes, that's what you get for racially profiling and assaulting a child. And Steffi L writes, Welp, she got what was coming to her. We have not heard the end of Maya. No, we have not. But this is the end of the program. (laughs) Thank you, Josh, so much for coming on. We always appreciate your take on everything. Where can people find you on social media or if they need an attorney to help them? (laughs)
2: Sure, so I'm on Instagram at Joshua E. Ritter. And if they go to worksmanjackson.com, that's my law firm and they can find me there.
1: Terrific. You all can find me at Anna G News. That's Anna with one N. We always welcome your comments, especially on YouTube. I cannot wait to hear your comments on all these cases because they're all, as we would say, talkers. A lot to talk about on all these cases. As always, you can find our content on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and, of course, on YouTube, where we have more than 4.2 million subscribers to our newsletter. Hey, how about subscribing to our newsletter if you don't already? Just go to TrueCrimeDaily.com. Until next week, this is True Crime Daily, the podcast. I'm your host, Anna Garcia. And as we always say, don't do crime.